Thanks for tuning in to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suju Organic, where we inspire, educate, and provide advice and insights around those who are in the sports business and entertainment industry. Please follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic excited for our industry insight series here with the clubhouse and i've got two awesome guests today in joe walsh senior vice president of people and culture at the arizona diamondbacks and kelly ross manager of people and strategy at the pittsburgh pirates excited to talk to both of them about their career paths their journeys within the world of sports and people and culture uh and nonetheless joe longtime listener first time caller so excited to have you on uh, i feel like that's a a proud moment there, but nonetheless, welcome. Yeah, great, great to be here, Jake, and, and to, with you, Kelly. And uh, you know, I've never been a uh, a big sports call, sports radio, sports talk radio. I'm dating myself, uh, person, but you know, longtime listener, first time caller is something I would hear a lot about 30 years ago. And so, I guess I'm on the radio now. So, thank you for that. There you go. Well, let's just start off real quick uh, with with your quick GPS. <laughs> how you got to where you are and um, a couple of stops along the way, you know, Dodgers, Pistons, TaylorMade, uh, uh, you know, a couple other places as well. But, you know, have you been in the people and culture side your, your whole career? How'd you get into it? Thanks, Jake. Yeah. I, I, I the answer is no, but as, as the years stack up, um, you know, the pie chart is very tilted to people and culture uh, formerly known as human resources formerly known as personnel. So I'm proud of the name change and the nomenclature of our function. But I, I went to uh, went to school um, with the aspiration planned by my parents to be a CFO and to be a finance and accounting professional. So it got uh, one and not two degrees in that actually. And uh, started in Silicon Valley in high tech for a semiconductor manufacturer um, and worked there for, you know, combined, um, I went back to school and then went back to that company, but, you know, about a combined four years or so. And, and I saw, you know, I saw this thing called human resources and I saw how it was done. And I, you know, not to be arrogant, but I, I thought it could be better. I thought, you know, multiple generations in the workplace, uh, people want to be heard at different tones and different levels. And, so I said, hey, why not why not give this a try early in my career? And so I started in a function of human resources in compensation and benefits and systems, because there's a lot of numbers and, and stuff I was good at and comfortable with that. And, you know, stock option equity, stock option grants for public companies and high tech. And, um, you know, I, I what I did there was um, learn that there's different verticals and functions within human resources. So employee relations international HR, um, you know, learning and development, recruiting, um, and everything in between. And, and I really just got little experiences in each of those verticals uh, with a new aspiration to become a general manager overseeing a, an HR department. And that that set me on my path uh, at a high-tech company called Qualcomm in San Diego years ago. Small company. They, what's that? 
I said small company. Yeah, small company at the time. We are hiring about 500 engineers a month uh, with, you know, stock option equity, all kinds of crazy comp levers. So that was a fun time, um, you know, back in the early 2000s. Um, you know, life took its turn. Uh, my wife and I started uh, a family and there was a, a company near us in North County, San Diego in the golf industry that I was always driving by. And as it as luck would have it, a lot of ex-Qualcomm people wound up, um, you know, because they lived up in that part of San Diego County. Um, and two of them wound up at TaylorMade Golf. And so I had connections there. And I, I took a job after about six years at Qualcomm uh, at TaylorMade Golf. And that's really where the HR career took off um, at that point. And, and, and career in sports, I would say, from the consumer products angle and big branding. We'll get, we'll get to some of your other stops along the way, but Kelly, recruiting, staffing, employee experience, you know, that was kind of your uh, <clears throat> entree into the sports industry, but you were at different companies outside of sports. So talk a little bit about kind of your journey. You even got a master's degree at Georgetown, um, you know, it, with a specialization, right? So talk a little bit about what's, what, what was your strategy per se, in terms of getting into sports and, and kind of having that experience and background to do so? So it's funny, I have strategy in my title now, but I had no strategy when I graduated from college. Let me tell you that. I did not know what I wanted to do other than my dream job was to work in Major League Baseball. So I can probably say I've accomplished that, but it helps um, you know, college students that are looking to break into sports hear my story of I did not always have sports experience. I didn't have a sport internship. But when I graduated from college, I was living in Washington, D.C., which is where I was from, and it's a pretty expensive place to live. So I just accepted the first job opportunity that came my way, and that was in recruitment and staffing for a um, Fortune 500 companies with Insight Global. So through that, I kind of got into that human resources, people and culture realm because I was actively recruiting. Mm. I went into sales after that. I was an account manager then working and staffing kind of transitioned to more of a human resources role and um, started working for a corporate healthcare company where I was managing over nine states. So probably 1300 employees and doing all of the human resources for them. So leave of absences, benefits, you name it, everything. Um, in the back of my mind, I still wanted to achieve that dream of working <clears throat> and working in Major League Baseball. So I thought, well, I love to learn. I have a growth mindset. I'm going to get my master's, knowing it's not required necessarily to get into the sports industry, but I want to do it. Let's do it. So got my master's from Georgetown, had a focus in sport management. And um, I was studying with someone from, who worked with um, the Phillies at the time and wanted to focus my capstone project on failing attendance in Major League Baseball and coming up with a recommended ticketing solution for us to get more fans into the stadium. So while working with that manager who worked for the Phillies, he became a huge mentor of mine, and I was able to go to him for pretty much anything. And he told me about the job at the Pittsburgh Pirates and said, I really think you should apply to this. So applied. Here I am today working in the people and culture team and really learning what my passions are, what I'm good at and where I need to go in my career. But that's pretty much it. Never had a sport internship or anything like that. It was just following my passions. 
you know, as, as you think about the calculated steps and the experiences, part of it's the storytelling, right. Of how you, how you get to where you are. And when you say, yeah, I, I applied and here we are, right. It's like, it's not that easy, but, right. but you at least have the experiences to tell your story, to be able to get yourself, you know, through the interview process. And so when you were thinking about, okay, how do I frame my story? And Joe, same thing. How do you frame your story of working outside of sports to then get into the industry? Like what were some of the things that you had to kind of, um, you know, formulate and, and put your mind around? You know what I just saw on LinkedIn this morning, it said, your messes become your message and your tests become your testimonies. And I thought that was so powerful because it's so true in my career and personal paths. But for me, it's about figuring out what it is that you're good at and like doing and also figure out what you don't like doing, right? Because that's how you're going to figure out where your passions are and where you're going to add the most value. So for me, I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to get into human resources. That wasn't what I was studying in college. It wasn't ever something I saw myself doing, but I learned that I was really good at different components of it. So I really think it's about just having that level of self-awareness and really being able to pick up and hone in on what your skills are, sharpening your weaknesses as well, and transferring those skills into the industry that you want to work in. Joe, what do, what do you have to add, to add to that? Yeah, Kelly, great, great comments there. And, and I'll, I'll add to that. I think, um, you know, find out what you're good at. Yes. Uh, find out what you're not good at, what you don't enjoy doing. Yes. But think about your function or what you, what's your, where your skill sets are, what you like to do functionally. And here's, you know, for me, I was going home every night and spending every weekend going to games or watching games and following teams and, you know, your basic sports nerd. And I said, well, you know, why not be around that every day and, and add, add the creative value of what I'm good at, whether it's finance or human, re human relations or human resources, connecting with people uh, in an environment that's, that's sports and athletics and, and something that, that came natural to me and, and I worked on and I love to do and, played for many years. Um, I want to be surrounded by that in the environment and not necessarily go to, um, I don't know, go to a bank or a hotel or a healthcare uh, organization and do what I'm good at. I want to do what I'm good at in the environment I like and want to grow and thrive in. And, and in between all that is a really intense desire to connect with people and build relationships. And, and Kelly mentioned LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn wasn't around for half of my career, but it's here now. And there's nothing better to check every night, every morning when you wake up and see what's going on. Watch the news, who's who's at what company promoted, uh, who's being called out for great work in the community, in our industry. There are so many ways to stay connected to this. And as a recruiter, um, it's one of the first things I look for in a candidate because if she or he or they are not connected to our industry, um, you know, my next question is, well, what do you want from this industry? You don't really know much and haven't done your homework. There's so much information about what we do and where we work. So that's that's my answer there. Joe, you, you mentioned people and culture earlier of, of kind of changing the evolution of the name, right? Like and and having different names stemming from human resources. But when you think about people and culture and you're just talking about environment and knowing your environment that you want to be in and be around, 
how do you create as someone who's leading that charge how do you help create the culture and the environment in which people want to come and and you know work and be around and and then how do you help build the people again you know i'm playing off the people and culture here but uh how do how do you build the people right so that you know they they continuously also want to grow where they are as well yeah great question jake and and look it it, it it's not not to be to give you a uh a cliche answer, but it never stops. So here's an example. Um, several hours before I woke up this morning, uh, we're in Milwaukee. There's a bunch of, uh, you know, executives and other employees here in our traveling party. But I went down to the lobby. You know, we got here late. It's a new hotel. I'm kind of getting my sea legs. Where the heck am I? And I see two of our security guys, Greg, Greg Condry and Chris Taylor. They're just sitting there wondering what to do. I said, hey, let's go to dinner. Uh, let me treat you to dinner. So we went and had a nice dinner. And, and the point is that culture is with me in, in this restaurant in Milwaukee, Wisconsin last night. And we're talking about what they experienced uh, on the clinch playoff game the last weekend, talking about some of the issues they're having. And I'm paying attention. I'm asking questions and looking them in the eye, not on my phone. And I'm listening. That interaction counts. And, and there'll be one right after this call, wherever I go. And I think it's important that if, if you're going to have culture in your name, you're, you're always interested in it, right? Whether it's two security people or the vice president I sat for three hours with on a plane coming out here, we're talking about marketing. And so I just think showing that interest uh, and, and really being a, list, a good listener and asking good questions, right? It's so important to be in tune with people and connecting with them wherever you are. And so that that's that's an answer that's really slanted by you know what just happened to me so from coast to coast kelly what anything to add there yeah and i think joe you make so many good points about it right because we don't just have culture in our name we have people you have to connect with people you have to treat them as people and not an employee id number there are so many organizations where that's the number you know that's who you are but for me, I focus a lot on our employer brand strategy. It's so easy to, you know, get into the sports industry and get wrapped up in that. I work for the Pirates logo, right? I work for the Pirates brand, but I walk to work. Sometimes I look like I work for the Pirates because I've got Pirates stuff all over me. And I have people stop me and talk about the team, talk about how they're doing and they know that I work for them. So I'm representing the pirates no matter what. I am a brand and culture ambassador. So if I'm passionate about my job, what I do, who I support, people are going to see that and they're going to go, wow, I really want to work for the pirates. I want to be that happy and passionate about my job every day, right? And um, we really channel that here when we think about, all right, what does people and culture mean, right? We want to have our people put first. We want to think about our people with everything. So if we plan events, we're going to survey our people and say, how did that impact you? Was it a positive experience, negative? How can we improve? So we really do value the voices of our people so that we can make sure everything that we're doing is aligning with not just our pillars and goals as a department, but serving our people and putting them first. So I really try to focus on that. All right. We've got our people here. We want to keep them here. How can we put them first? But also thinking strategically of how can we improve that employer brand 
so that when we post on LinkedIn, when we have people doing Instagram takeovers that are representative of the pirates, how can they help that employer brand strategy to get people to want to work with us? The logo is what people are after sometimes, right? And you have to kind of um, cater to, you know, people's people's ideal workplaces, right? Like, well, what does that look like? And, you know, is it in their hometown or is it in a place that they've never been before? And um, to that point, you know, how do you go about that, that onboarding process of people who maybe they they were working at the team down the street and they, they've already been there for 10 years or, you know, they're, they're moving across the country, picking up from college and all of a sudden they're, you know, you're their first job and you're just trying to help them uh, find where the cafeteria is. Right. Yeah. How do you go about the onboarding process with, uh, with people in terms of, you know, making sure that they feel comfortable and, and welcome and, and all of that. Absolutely. So like Joe said, you have to connect. You have to ask questions and be a good listener. I oversee all of our new hire orientation. So everyone who comes in through the Pirates organization is going to go through me and I do a new hire presentation with them. So I'm with them pretty much their entire first day, really trying to go over what our purpose is as an organization while also trying to understand them. So asking them strategic questions. They might think I'm just getting to know them, but I'm trying to pick up on things so I can help connect them with other people in the organization and connect them to the city of Pittsburgh. My presentation is very brand focused. It's very focused on who the pirates are as an organization and how they can get in with that and be part of the team. So there is a course that we have developed called Welcome to Pittsburgh. It's an online course. If they're not from Pittsburgh or maybe they've grown up here their whole lives and just wanna to get to know the city a little bit more, it's something that they can take so that they can learn what's going on here and just why Pittsburgh is so special. So it's a lot of manual work, just trying to understand people to see what they need in order to be successful here on our team. So I really just try to ask those questions, get to know them and let them know they're part of a team and they're not alone. Joe, you're not recreating the wheel all the time, right? Like people have been doing this for a while, but at the same time, you know, you want to make sure that you're standing out and, and you know, doing things to to be with, you know, the times and um, evolve, you know, as people have, have different needs and wants. How have you gone about, you know, creating new things, but making sure that they're prioritized uh, versus, you know, what you've, what you've already got set in place and it works? Yeah, I, I think um, another good question. Um, and I really like what you just said, Kelly. And so I'll answer, I'll answer both of you guys now. But I, I think you have um, the concept of onboarding or new hire orientation. And, you know, I think the lazy way to do it is to have a presentation and your brand and here's how we do things. But you may have a room of three people and you may have a, a mother you know, with, with three kids who's married, you may have a kid that's 22 coming out of Arizona state. And then you may have someone that's, that's moving from Alaska, all in the same room, all with different needs. And I think, you know, to Kelly's point, like show the environment, show Pittsburgh or Phoenix, but really ask those questions and understand what each of those three need. Cause I guarantee you, it's all going to be different. And your, your presentation or your process you know, may, may apply different percentages to each of those three people. So 
I, I think it's a great way to start, but it doesn't stop there. Like, and the worst organizations will say, yeah, I, I did an onboarding and I did new hire orientation and, and we're good. It's up to the manager now. Well, that that's wrong. And I think that it's got to be, you know, all hands on. And we're fortunate in these, in these, uh, our, these two particular baseball clubs where we're small enough where we have no excuse not to get in front of these people early and often. Um, you know, in a big 10,000 person company, that's a different challenge. But, you know, here here in Major League Baseball, I'll speak to our industry. You're anywhere from, you know, 250 to 450 full timers somewhere in there. And so that's that's opportunity. Right. That's cool. And that makes me smile because you have a way to get around the building and talk to these people all the time. And so as much as I value onboarding and new hire orientation, I think it's it doesn't stop there. That's such a small part of it. You got to do it, but it really carries on every day. And, you know, having, you know, having check-ins after 30 days or however many amount of days, it, it just, the onboarding really never stops. And as far as kind of the, we'll call it recreating the wheel or, or doing something new, or how do you go about that process? How do you understand what your people need, what you you know, should change or shouldn't change what works, what doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, again, I think, I think surveys, we just launched one yesterday, um, you know, for sports business journal, which, you know, it's an engagement survey, but you know, we glean a lot of information off these, um, but, but it's not surveys alone. You, you've got to talk to people. You have to have that open door and people want to come see you and, you know, one of the things the mentor told me years ago, if no one's coming to see you, Joe, you're, do, you're doing something wrong. And so, I, you know, it, it's it's people all the time asking questions and me asking questions, you know, what's working well. We took the whole front office to San Diego for a Padre series, and that's a treasure trove of feedback, just those three days, like what worked well, what didn't work well, stop, start, continue. So it's happening, whether people see it or not. I, you know, there's five of us in people and culture, and, and we're we're talking about it, you know, incessantly, you know, all the, all the time. Kelly, what's the most challenging part of being in people and culture? Like, if someone's listening to this and they go, I, "This this kind of sounds like me. Like, I'd want to do this. I'd, I'd want to get into this vertical of the industry." But what's the most challenging part for people to understand, uh, as far as you know, that as a career path? I think um, it can definitely be sitting in your silo of people and culture, right? And Joe and I talk a lot about getting that feedback from people. If you want to launch something or implement something, it is so crucial to get perspectives from other departments and from other people. Because I do, you know, we have the policies and procedures that we need to have in place, right? There's HR components of certain things that we do that we need to make sure we uphold. But I value perspectives from others so much because I used to be that person that took over in a group project in school, right? Mm -hmm. I felt like I took everything on my own shoulders. But if I don't get feedback from other people, I don't know if I'm doing a good job. I need that feedback from our staff in order to know that we are living out that purpose of serving our people and having a culture that you want to work with and are proud to be part of. So you, it's challenging when you get into that silo and say, we need to execute X, Y, Z without <laughs> considering other perspectives and thinking anything would delay the process. So I really think it's just about getting that feedback in order to avoid that challenge. 
Joe, as you mentor a lot of people and, you know, have worked with tons across your, your career, um, you've got the HRs or we'll call it people in culture space in terms of those that are coming in, um, trying to enter the industry. Do people come into people in culture from the industry or do they usually do something else and then they uh, eventually make their way over to people and culture. And what's your advice for those that if you're listening to this and you're in college and you're, and you were like Kelly that, you know, didn't know what they wanted to do. And, and then you said, Hey, if you wanted to get into people and culture, this is, this is the entry level role that you probably got to look for or understand X, Y, Z title. Yeah. And, and, and you're right on both accounts. And, you know, as a mentor, on, on the clubhouse, in the clubhouse, a little plug there. Um, I'm, I'm getting more calls about, hey, Joe, what what do you do? What what about human resources and people and culture in, in sport? And how do I get there? And that's pleasing to me because it, it shows tells me that more people um, know it's a thing, you know, know, know it's part of, of a front office. And so, but to your first point, Jake, you know, people generally, for me, in my experience, will will come to us from other departments, and, and one of them clearly is ticket sales and service. And there's no better way to break into any team, in my mind, uh, than the revenue function of selling tickets and products and servicing. And then that way you get to know the team and, and the revenue drivers. But you're also going to get around the company and understand what goes on in IT and legal and HR and marketing. And that that's where I do most of my recruiting and say, hey, you know, to this young woman or man, would you like um, to learn more about people and culture and what we do? And, you know, you get a lot that way. Um, so I'm starting to see more interest uh, through mentoring, uh, but it's it's not happening fast enough. And And I think that this this function, this field, and I think Kelly would agree, there's a lot to it, right? I mean, you really have to dig in. I mean, I read an article this morning um, from a recruiting organization about HR burnout. So that that exists too. It's it's not just other functions. There's a lot going on with the pandemic and uh, the great resignation and all these new things that are coming at us. And, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of good work. I, there's nothing I'd rather be doing and no other industry I'd rather be doing it in. So, you know, always looking for good people, always willing to talk about ways. And, you know, people need to understand that, as you know, Jake, and, and maybe you, Kelly, you, you may have to make a geographic move to, to follow it. It may not happen in your favorite town of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania or Phoenix, Arizona. And so you got to be open to it. But that I think that's fun. And I, I spend a lot of time on geographic mobility if you want to grow your career. Kelly, to, to you real quick, as, as you think about um, the organization as a whole and you talk to your counterparts at other teams like Joe or, or others, what are some of the departments uh, and or areas of an organization that are really growing? So if someone's listening to this and they go, well, is it analytics? Is it ticket sales? Like, What are the departments that are really growing in an organization? Uh, that people should be looking out for or just trying to gain skill sets to be applicable to those in the future? Absolutely. So business intelligence is huge right now. When you think about what trends are popular among the industry, think about artificial intelligence, right? Think about um, social media and how we can get reach to fans that way. So business intelligence and marketing are two departments that I would say are booming right now. 
but don't just look at the outside, right? I think about ballpark operations. We have to keep the ballparks running in order to get fans into our stands, right? So ballpark operations is busy right now. We've got the off season. There's a lot of projects that they're implementing to make PNC Park a better place for 2024. So think about the back end that you're not just seeing on social media or seeing when you consider the business intelligence of how we price tickets and how we get people into the stands. So ballpark operations, marketing, and then business intelligence. Joe, anything to add there? I would say all those. Thanks, Kelly. And, and I would also say um, analytics on the team ops side. So, you know, yep. basketball ops, baseball ops, football ops, you know, a lot of, a lot of people will say, well, you got to know someone, you, you got to go to Princeton or Harvard. I mean, you see a lot of that, but what I'm seeing is um, with the growth of those functions and analytics on the team ops side, the, the want or the need to talk to more people and, and really uh, those with programming and coding skills. I mean, that's really red hot right now. And if you, if you're taking these courses uh, at your, in your undergraduate or graduate institution that are, that are centered around coding and programming. Um, again, if I could turn the clock back, I'd, I'd do a lot of that too, because that's really, really important now. Last question is, as we wrap up and then we'll get to a quick rapid fire. Um, but as you think about, <clears throat> the sports industry and for, you know, as a whole, right. And, and the areas that are continuing to grow and then you've got remote work versus hybrid versus in-person um, teams versus leagues versus agencies and so on. If you were to, as Joe, as you mentioned, wind the clock back and think about where you started, uh, what advice would you give to either yourself or uh, someone that's entering the industry right now of how to navigate uh, this we'll call it complex world of sports. It's complex. And I'll, I'll go back to remote and hybrid and, and stay on that for a second. Um, you know, be ready for anything, right? Be amenable to remote work or to hybrid or being in person, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, I, I was one of these staunch, we got to get back to the office people, you know, we work in a stadium, this and that. But I, I've learned a lot about the value of remote work and, and cultures that may may have to align or need to align on, you know, calls like we're on now and Zoom. And so um, the one thing I would tell my younger self or anyone younger than me is um, keep learning. Right. Keep, keep be a lifelong learner. Right. Growth mindset, like Kelly said don't you're never going to know everything and i always say you know appreciate differences and suspend judgment you know part of my three-legged stool and a lot of that's based on learning every day and you never know everything you, not even close and so to have a smile and dig into that that lifelong learning all the time kelly i think for me um the sports industry has always been widely known as very competitive, and it is. Don't get me wrong. You do have to be competitive in a sense in order to grow in your career, right? Otherwise, you would lose the interviews. You would lose the promotions. But I would tell myself to stop competing and comparing against others. You are only competing against yesterday's version of yourself, and you need to be, like Joe said and I've said repeated, repeatedly, you have to have that lifelong commitment to learning. You need to have that growth mindset. 
So if you notice yourself and you're only aware of what you are doing and how you need to improve or how you need to get that promotion, you're going to wipe out all the negative thoughts about, well, this person has more experience than me. They're going to get the job in sports before me, or this person's going to get the promotion before me. Just stop being competitive. Don't steamroll over people to get to where you want to go. Everyone is on their own path and just be a good human that it's going to take you very far in your career. And as you move up the ladder, you lose that sort of, I have to be the best and the loudest voice in the room. So just don't be competitive in that sense and just compete against yesterday's version of yourself. All right. Rapid fire. Are you ready? Ready. Callie, we'll start with you. Favorite interview question. Oh, that's a really good one. I personally like personal interview questions. So I like to ask people, you know, what do you do outside of work? Because it shows who they are as a person, as opposed mm-hmm. to coming in with this robotic, I, you know, repeating their resume, right? So I love seeing what people's hobbies and interests are outside of work. Joe? Uh, easy for me. And I like Kelly's answer. Thanks, Kelly. But uh, tell me about a time when. Um, you know, open-ended questions. Tell me about a time when, and, and I will I will do two or three versions of those at every interview. Joe, we'll start with you. Favorite follow-up? Is it a handwritten note, an email, call, an in-person you know, visit? What do you? It, it's it's a lost art. I like to say. Um, I love the handwritten note, but you know that's not. To say that any sort of follow-up, you know, nothing's worse than no follow-up, and that still happens an awful lot. So, I hand out my card, I give my information. Um, you know, the handwritten note is awesome, but a text message and uh, you know, an email, and and I'll give you a plug, Jake Hirschman. Years ago, six years ago, you you were at the top of my list on follow-up people. So someone got into your head early and often. Appreciate that, Joe. Kelly, favorite follow-up? I have the same answer as Joe. I am a huge thank you card person. I love to write handwritten thank you cards. But if your organization has a peer-to-peer recognition program, by all means, take advantage of that. I love sending what we call compass cards to people. I I do them strategically. I'm not just going to send one every day because I want to. It's meaningful. So as long as you have a meaningful message, take advantage of those peer-to-peer recognition and just let people know that they're appreciated. But also everyone's different, right? We've learned that on this podcast recording today, some people might not value those words of affirmation as much as you do. So if they would rather value something like time off, think about appreciating them by taking them to go get a drink after work or going to get dinner with them. That's going to mean more to them than saying, hey, I really appreciate you for what you did. So just get to know people and what they appreciate. Love that. Yeah, though, the the in- incentives and reward system, right, for, for everybody is yeah. certainly different. All right, last one. Um, if you could, I know, Joe, you're a big San Diego person, but if you could go anywhere in the world, where would it be? That you haven't you know, been, um, that you haven't been before. Haven't been. Oh, that I haven't been. Now you qualified that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I uh, traveled the world uh, often in, when I was in the golf industry, but I, I never made it to Italy. And uh, my mom's side of the family is from Sicily. And so, uh, you know, the bucket list very high up is to go down to, to go to Italy and go to the south of Italy to Sicily. 
Wow, Joe. So before Jake said that we couldn't be there, I went to Italy for a birthday celebration this year. It was on my bucket list. I loved it. So that was going to be my answer. But because I've been there, I've never been to Nashville, Tennessee. And that is just, it, it's on my bucket list. I want to go. I feel like I would thrive in that environment. So I'm going to stick with that one in the States, but Italy is amazing. You have to get there when you can. Kelly, Joe, really appreciate the insights, advice, perspectives uh, on being on the Industry Insights series here with the Clubhouse. Thank you again for your time and uh, welcome back on anytime. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe and follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And stay tuned for next Monday's episode with a new guest and new content.